Here to dive into industry trends with leading ETF experts, this is ETF Spotlight with Nina Mishra. Hello and welcome to ETF Spotlight. In this episode, we are talking about two very interesting investment areas, the exciting, the high growth max seven stocks and the boring established dividend growers. Uh, Joining me today will be Dave Maza, Chief Strategy Officer at Roundhill Investments. But a quick programming note before we start the interview, the show is going on a mini hiatus as I'll be out of the country for about three weeks, but we'll be back with the more interesting topics and expert guests after that. And while I'm gone, please catch up on the past episode that you might have missed earlier. Okay, let's talk about the Max 7 stocks and Dividend Monarchs with Dave Maza. Hi, Dave. Welcome. Great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So the Magnificent Seven Stocks, they had uh, accounted for more than 62% of the S&P 500's total return in 2023. And uh, most experts had anticipated a broadening of the market rally in 2024, but it appears that uh, that hasn't happened so far, right? So do you think the Magnificent Seven can remain magnus- magnificent in 2024? Well, I always think it's difficult to make a prediction, an accurate prediction, or even uh, have sort of great clarity on what an entire year looks like. But uh, if I had to do so, and if I had to hone in at least on sort of the first half of the year, I would say the momentum behind the Magnificent Seven and sort of mega cap tech in general uh, and profitable companies in general uh, remains firmly in place. Uh, and a lot of the reason for that is, is, is not just around the hype of AI. And I think it's important to disentangle this. That's a big driver of why there's excitement around companies like NVIDIA and companies like Microsoft. And now more recently, what Apple may be doing there but it really is the fundamentals. Um, so while the, there's been extreme concentration um, that we hadn't seen in some time, what's what's different in this scenario is that these companies are growing their sales at significantly higher rates than the 493 other companies at S&P 500, let alone uh, what we're seeing and not seeing, or sorry, what I should be saying is what we're not seeing in small caps. Right. So you alluded to the AI hype. And so all these uh, companies, all these stocks benefited a lot from the AI hype last year. But it appears that investors are now trying to figure out which of these companies will be the actual beneficiaries of the AI bonanza. Uh, So you mentioned Microsoft and NVIDIA. NVIDIA is, of course, the most obvious winner. So that is why we have seen these divergent performances in 2024 uh, so far. And this divergence has uh, kind of expanded in the past few weeks when these companies reported their earnings and only NVIDIA is yet to report. Uh, So as of now, NVIDIA and Meta are leading the group. They are up 
about 52% and 41% respectively. And we are recording this on February 16th. And Tesla has significantly lagged the group. It is down more than uh, 15%. Meta's results in particular were very well received by the market, by investors. Uh, shares surged more than 20% after they reported. And Tesla has been punished for missing both earnings and revenue estimates. NVIDIA reports on February 21st. And in fact, it seems that the market rally now hinges on NVIDIA's earnings. Those earnings may determine which way the market goes now. Uh, but the stock is already up a lot. So I was interested in your thoughts on recent Mac 7 earnings or Mac 6 earnings. Uh, which one impressed you the most? Yeah, so if we think about the group as a whole, six of the seven companies, to your point, have reported. Uh, and rightfully so, people are considering, well, what could be next because of the seller performance? Uh, only Tesla of that six so far missed the consensus estimates for revenue growth. And if we look as a group, including all seven, they're expected to generate sales growth of 14% year over year this earnings season. And the 493 is a more modest 2%. What I think is also more remarkable is that these market heavyweights are seeing much higher margins. So 23% versus nine. And they're growing them at a faster pace in the broader market. So about 7.5% versus negative 1.1%. So as a, as a whole, again, absent Tesla, which I think uh, was impacted by the cyclicality of their, their, their core auto, autos business, earning, earning seasons have been uh, great, uh, sorry, good to great, uh, depending upon your perspective. Now, uh, uh, I think well, NVIDIA, of course, has lost the expectations. Uh, they have shown a propensity to beat those lofty expectations. At, at some point, though, because of the recent parabolic move hiring the stock, you know, I think we, we may be due for a bit, bit of a sell-off uh, just simply from that point of view. Uh, but what I thought was interesting was that if we think about this earnings season, Microsoft in particular is, is notable because we've, when we think about themes like AI, um, many times they are expected to occur de years or decades in the future. But now we're seeing a bit of a broadening out of companies that are making money off of AI today, right? Again, not decades from now. And, um, you know, Microsoft showed that among other names. So I thought that was a notable takeaway from their earnings report. Yeah, earnings in general have been really, really impressive. Now let's talk about your ETF for uh the Max ETF. Uh, this has seen a lot of interest from investors, of course, because of the magnificent performance uh, by these stocks. So this is not even a year old, uh, and uh, it already has about 140 million in assets, uh, uh, as I'm checking. And this was actually big T ETF earlier. Uh, with five big technology stocks. And then you decided to change it to Max. So tell us a little bit about that change and what it currently holds, uh, why equal weighting and other details. So you're, you're right. The Magnificent 7 ETF Mags started its life last April as the big tech ETF, big T. And 
we heard some feedback pretty immediately from, from investors to say, hey, I, I love this concept of creating a per- precise exposure. And, but really what they were focused on at the time was, well, how about Magnificent Seven? And so we actually uh, modified the fund in November of last year to include um, all seven Magnificent Seven stocks. What we do when we manage the portfolio is uh, on a quarterly basis, equal weight the names. Um, so it is not market cap weighted uh, be, uh, in, in, the, in that regard. And um, the fund offers that precise exposure to just those seven names. Um, and I think what we have heard from investors is that, um, of course, you can get exposure to these names where you have exposure in probably nearly any index fund. Um, to some way, shape, or form, but increasingly with uh, ETF investing, uh, we, we've also heard that folks are looking for the precision. And if you're investing in the S and P 500 or Nasdaq, and you really want that overweight, um, you're going to have a lot of dilution with that. And that's one of the reasons why I think we've seen most recently some pretty strong growth in the Magnificent Seven ETF. Yeah, you're right about precision in exposure. It holds just those seven stocks. Uh, But one question that I often get from investors when they look at these ETFs, which provide very concentrated exposure, that why not just buy the stocks? Because so many broker platforms now offer the convenience of fractional share trading. Uh, So why not just buy those seven stocks? Or why not just buy the six stocks? Because Tesla has been a drag on the performance, and also why equal weighting? Why not just go with market cap weighting for these stocks, go with the market wisdom? Again, as I mentioned, Tesla has been a drag drag because of equal weighting. Though if I look at the exposure currently, it seems that NVIDIA accounts for about 18% of the portfolio and Tesla is a little less than 10%. That is mainly because of its underperformance and they will be rebalanced at the time of uh, quarterly rebalancing, right? Yeah, no, um, you're you're absolutely right. So if there is an individual or an institution, perhaps, who wants to kind of make a selection that says, hey, I think Apple's stock, for example, has been a bit soft uh, and their their AI solution that uh, is likely coming this summer is going to be really groundbreaking. Um, I want to have that individual position, you know, by all means, that that, that makes sense to me. But for an an investor who who, um, wants the convenience of an ETF, even though it's seven names, at least I know from my experience, as best as I try to, um, sometimes behavioral biases can come into play, right? Winners get too large and maybe losers get too small. So the equal weighting and that quarterly rebalance uh, brings brings that back uh, into line. And then you have the, benef- the some of the benefits that can come with the ETF structure. Uh, and so uh, there are, to answer the other part of your question, is that there most recently has been some conversations, particularly about Tesla. Does it really belong in the group? Um, and if you look at its uh, its short-term performance, it certainly has some large dispersion with some of the other winners. But I think the same has been said about names like Meta. And, and people count out some of these companies. But to me, I think we remain in a haves and have-nots world where the largest, most disruptive companies that uh, are led by uh, folks like Elon Musk or, or Tim Cook, uh, in that example, are winning. And, and those companies that are not profitable 
um, are having some some more challenges. So um, time will tell. Of course, uh, if any or all of these companies remain magnificent, but for the time being, I think the momentum is there and the ability to have that at least diversified among the seven exposure is benef- could be beneficial. All great points. So these companies uh, did not outperform just the last year. They have actually been leading the market for over a decade now. And uh, this surge in these high-tech, high-growth tech stocks combined with ultra-low interest rates, that has diminished the appeal of dividend-paying stocks. But over the longer term, if you look at the longer-term performance, uh, then dividend growers have also done quite well. And uh, because of the underperformance last year, investors kind of lost interest in these stocks and ETFs as well. And uh, dividend-focused ETFs uh, took in very little inflows last year. It was the lowest amount on record. Uh, So do you think dividend investing can finally make a comeback in 2024? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, I actually, earlier this year in January, published a a blog uh, on our our website called Dividends in the Doghouse. Uh, And you're absolutely right. The flows into dividend ETFs in 2023 were, were incredibly lackluster. Um, the, they saw about $1.6 billion. Uh, the, the average of the last 20 years has been closer to $13 billion per year. So as dividends are just an area that investors allocate toward and, and, are, and are interested in. However, you know, dividends have not, dividend-paying companies, particularly dividend growers, um, have not been rewarded by the market. Last year, um, the dividend aristocrats index, which has a lengthy history, um, saw some some strong underperformance. Um, some of the you know uh, actually underperforming the S and P five hundred by over twenty six percent. That's the worst one year performance it's had since two thousand. And a big reason for that is because there's no exposure to the magnificent seven uh, or minimal exposure, I should say, to those names. And the market was not rewarding what historically has been stable companies, and they've been really paying up for growth, sales, and margin growth, which a dividend dividend paying companies don't always offer. Now, on the flip side, I think we had noted earlier in the conversation that for the time being, um, the Magnificent Seven I think remain in the driver's seat. But if we if we Enter in an environment where either we see we begin to have clarity on specifically when rate rate cuts uh, are likely to occur, or we get into an environment where volatility increases, perhaps due to the election uh, and what will likely be a contentious political season. Then I do think the market will probably reassess and say, "Wait, maybe we've been a little bit too harsh on some of these high quality, long standing companies." That have not been in favor, but certainly uh, uh, could be when it comes to um, looking for stability in portfolios. So your new ETF provides exposure to companies that have consistently increased their dividends for at least 50 years. That's really, really impressive. So the ETF is the Roundhill S&P Dividend Monarchs ETF, ticker symbol, is Kings, K-N-G-S. Please tell us a little bit about this ETF and why you decided to launch this ETF. 
Yeah, this is a this was an ETF that we were really excited to be able to bring to market and, and partner with with S and P on who de- who developed the index. And what it what it does that takes the well known uh, concept of dividend aristocrats, and so these are companies that have each and every year increased their dividend to shareholders by twenty five years, and focuses just on those names that have done in the U.S. market that have done so for each and every year for fifty years, uh, and so. The group of companies that have been around for 50 years is is small, let alone those that have been able to increase their um, their dividend to shareholders. And so there are 36 names in the portfolio. Uh, compared to the aristocrats, interestingly, you get a slightly higher yield, uh, and but that comes with a similar price to earnings ratio, uh, but stronger return on equity and a lower dividend payout ratio because. Uh, again, you have one, you have a smaller number of companies, so that 36 versus uh, uh, about 100 or so. And these names have seen it all. They've been through wars, recessions, everything in between. And that, and they, they've been able to consistently reward shareholders um, along the way. Yes, excellent. So these are the companies that have endured more than half a century of all kinds of turbulence market uh, ups and downs and consistently generated a lot of free cash flow to pay and grow their dividends. So could you talk a little bit about the profitability, the longer term profitability and financial resilience of these companies? Yeah. So even though dividend growth companies and dividend aristocrats and dividend monarchs uh, were not uh, rewarded by the market in in 2023, or perhaps you'd say uh, even somewhat uh, over a longer time period. If you look at very long time horizons, these are the companies that that have proved to be uh, incredibly resilient and have generally high quality characteristics that uh, make sense for investors who are interested in having a higher than market income, but significantly actually lower lower volatility and just robust sort of balance sheet strength to get through all these difficult times. And so in a market that's rewarding um, either growth at all costs or uh, growth of margins, growth of sales above everything else or above uh, multiples, then these companies did uh, do what underperform, but over the very long term, they have, uh, you know, investors should have confidence that they have strong performance potential. And then if you actually look at, if, if we compare um, the valuation of, uh, of the dividend aristocrats index, um, which has a longer history than monarchs. And frankly, the monarchs is, his index only has a shorter history because, again, there hasn't been that many companies that have been around for 50 years. The, we're at multi-year lows um, in, uh, in, in the relative valuation. So for investors who are saying, hey, I think the market may be uh, I may be willing to maybe getting a little bit fr- uh, frothy or there's potential to, to reallocate. Um, perhaps just looking at small cops more broadly, which uh, do have a profitability problem, investors may start looking at, 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 at this as an opportunity. So one concern which some investors may have with this uh, kind of strategy is uh, the lack of exposure to the technology sector. 
because we know that technology companies are growthier companies. Uh, they generally do not pay a dividend. Now, some of these companies have started paying uh, dividends in the past uh, decade or so. For example, Apple restarted paying a dividend since, I think, 2012 or 2013. Microsoft has been paying a dividend for many years now. NVIDIA also pays a dividend, though the yield is minuscule because the stock price has gone up so much. Better started paying dividend. They just announced uh, a dividend recently with their quarterly earnings release. And the technology sector has, as a whole, it has become one of the market's largest sources for dividends because of the sheer size of these companies. So what do you think about lack of exposure to technology stocks in this kind of strategy? No, I think that is a, um, if there's if there's a reasonable area of pushback um, for someone who's not interested in it, I, 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 um, I understand where that's coming from. You know, the, uh, for example, uh, the King's ETF, Dividend Monarchs, has zero exposure to, uh, to technology as a sector at, uh, at, at a whole. Um, now, there are uh, other indices or approaches that maybe have shorter time horizons for identifying d- uh, dividend initiators or dividend growers, and, and you might find that there. But again, if, if the objective is to identify companies that are um, kind of less, um, uh, less well-focused on today or not where all the attention is, then I do think an approach like dividend aristocrats or even dividend monarchs now um, with kings can can be beneficial. So that is a a reasonable point. It is 100% true. Uh, However, uh, if someone is looking to say, I really want the stability, I actually have so much exposure to tech or other areas, this could be a way to, to, to diversify away from that. I'm going to put you on the spot now, sorry. <laughs> so if you had to choose between these two ETFs, Max or Kings for 2024, if you could put new money in one of these ETFs, which one would you select? And again, we do not make investment advice on this show. So I'm not asking for an in- investment advice for our listeners, but just interested in your thoughts. Well, um, it's like picking your favorite child, but what I, what I would say is, uh, and maybe this is a cop-out, uh, but it's really about time horizon. So if someone is, if someone is more active or looking to, to maybe continue to see where some of the momentum in the market is, then MAGS, I think, would, is very reasonable. And, and, uh, and again, I think until we see a material change in the economic environment or interest rate environment, um, it's it's going to be hard pressed to see uh, any companies away from mega the, the giants to to really be rewarded. But if someone is saying, "Hey, I have brand new money. I, I really want a set it and forget it approach with companies that have been incredibly resilient," then then Kings makes makes a lot of sense and perhaps more sense. So, um, not to try to have a cop out answer, both can make sense depending upon people's objectives. Fair enough. So. I also wanted to talk a little bit about your newest ETF, and this combines two of the hardest themes, hardest investment themes in the ETF world, Bitcoin and covered call strategies. So 
this the ETF is YBTC. It is the first US listed Bitcoin covered call ETF. Tell us about this ETF. Yeah, no, we were really excited to uh, to bring YBTC to market because it combines, to your point, two strategies that are of great interest um, with um, uh, with investors. It's exposure to crypto and, in particular, Bitcoin, uh, combined with uh, exposure to um, uh, to covered call. Uh, and we essentially what the strategy is is it, it provides exposure to uh, to the price of Bitcoin subject to a cap. Um, and uh, has the potential to generate um, uh, high income, uh, of which investors are, are focused on today. So I think for, for investors who are interested in diversifying their portfolio, um, but maybe concerned about the volatility that an individual allocation to Bitcoin could provide, a strategy like YBTC can be attractive for them. Uh, or conversely, if someone uh, it believes that you know, crypto may be more range bound than we've seen um, for the rest of this year, then this also could be an opportunity for them. Very interesting idea for sure. We'll leave it there. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. That was Dave Maza of Roundhill Investments. Now let's quickly recap the ETF tickers that we discussed. The Magnificent 7 ETF is MAX, easy to remember. The Dividend Monarchs ETF is KINGS, the ticker symbol K-N-G-S, and the Bitcoin Covered Call Strategy ETF is YBDC. These are all very unique ETFs. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you do not miss any episode. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, please email podcast at zax.com. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.